Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Celebrated American playwright Tennessee Williams spent enough years living and writing in St. Louis that a festival dedicated wholly to him and his work will start its eighth iteration tomorrow, September 7th through September 14th. Tom Mitchell is Professor Emeritus at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana and serves as the St. Louis Tennessee Williams Festival Scholar. He joins us today to talk about his favorite writer's work, which he studied, directed, and adapted many times over, and to illuminate Williams' use of the concept of quote-unquote madness and its connections to the writer's own struggles with mental health. Tom, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. It's very good to be here. So glad to have you. Now, let's talk first about the life of Tennessee Williams in St. Louis. He attended Soldan High School and University City High School. What was his childhood like here? Well, he uh, he moved to the city with his family in 1918 when he was uh, only seven years old. Uh, the family moved around from um, through a couple of different apartments in the central West End and then over into University City, so in the western part of the, the area. And the family was um, uh, had difficulties. There, the, his parents fought with one another, his father had a drinking problem, and his sister um, eventually was known to have uh, mental illness and was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And so that obviously is not a, a great situation. Um, is that part of what informed uh, the way that he felt about St. Louis? I think so. You know, uh, there, there is the, the, the story that Williams um, really didn't like St. Louis. And I think part of that is true. It was a dirty, smoky um, city that was unlike the small town in Mississippi where he'd, he'd uh, come from. But I think even more, it was the family tension that made him um, carry really bad memories of St. Louis. And actually, he had friends in St. Louis. He had. Uh, he also describes uh, good times uh, in the city. So it wasn't all the the difficulties of home life. Mm-hmm. The festival is going to feature two performances. Um, of, or that is, two of Williams' plays, and that's Suddenly Last Summer and The Glass Menagerie. And both of these deal with mental health or quote-unquote madness, as people referred to it at this time. Uh, Tom, madness, and I'm saying quote-unquote because this is not a term that we use now, that also happens to be the subject of one of the panels that you are hosting at the festival. What is it that drew you to focus on this particular theme in Williams' work? Well, it, it is in, con, you know, in, in conjunction with um, the play Suddenly Last Summer uh, and also Glass Menagerie in particular that um, mental illness, mental health uh, are, are issues that seem particularly pertinent. Uh, Williams wrote Suddenly Last Summer in uh, 1957 and 
he was going through psychoanalysis at the time and dealing with those family difficulties that had shaped his life uh, growing up. He, his sister by that time had been diagnosed and was actually institutionalized. So he was also dealing with that um, part of his, his of the, the experience of mental illness in his family. Um, it affected the way that he wrote Suddenly Last Summer, and it is very central to the story um, in that play. And I think it's important for us to be able to sort of take a look at what was he thinking and how do we understand that now. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it seems particularly pertinent. Especially right now, given all of the, the concern and the attention to mental health, um, so much more so than I remember in, in many years past. Now, we are talking about work that was produced from the 1930s to the 1950s. What did mental health care mean for Williams? Um, and what was the role that, uh, quote-unquote, madness played um, in his plays? Well, in particular, it's connected uh, to his sister, Rose, uh, and her life. And when she was in her late uh, teen years, she started to exhibit behaviors that were concerning. Um, her mother took her to see doctors um, uh, who were connected to Washington University and at Barnes Hospital. And um, as they worked with her and um, got to know more about her situation, it, it uh, eventually became clear that the problem was not, um, that was more serious than, than what they might have thought. So Williams, as, as her brother, who was, he was very close to his sister. He was only a year younger than she was, um, was very clearly observing her, her experience and, and, um, feeling, feeling that too. He also had a, um, probably what we would call a severe anxiety attack, uh, uh, in the mid-1930s, and that led him to leave the job that he was working at at the International Shoe Company and leave town for the for um, several months to sort of pull himself together. And it was after that um, breakdown that he came back to St. Louis and really began his career writing plays as well as poetry and stories. And while he was in St. Louis, um, and then elsewhere too. I mean, do we know whether Williams sought mental health care for himself? Yeah, in the 1950s, he, he underwent a psychoanalysis um, with a doctor in New York uh, who did talk therapy with him a lot, really bringing up the, the family um, conflicts he'd had, but also then prescribing um, a variety of medications. And Williams eventually <clears throat> had some serious problems with dependence on those medications as well as abuse of alcohol. That led um, later in his life, in the 60s, to um, uh, coming back to St. Louis uh, to uh, sort of uh, an intervention by his brother to, to help him um, get off of the drugs and, and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And specifically, so, it was a Barnes Hospital here. Yes. Yes. yes yeah. 
No, there's another element here I think that we shouldn't miss, and that is that Williams was a gay man, and his plays featured gay characters, including Sebastian in Suddenly Last Summer. And a lot of people at the time Williams wrote and lived, and today even, many people saw queerness as a kind of mental illness. Was Williams' queerness part of the, the quote, madness that's featured in Tennessee's uh, plays, and you know, how do you approach that as a scholar? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I actually, I don't think Williams ever would have considered um, his sexual orientation as as a psychological disease or uh, or that. I think he recognized that it was socially um, a, a difficulty, mm-hmm. but uh, I think he was he was. Uh, relatively comfortable as a gay man by the time that he came out, which wasn't until 1939 after he'd left St. Louis. Um, and and in Suddenly Last Summer, he's really dealing with, uh, especially the, there is a, the, a mother character that's something like William's own mother, who's, she's dealing with her son, Sebastian, the poet that you, you mentioned, uh, who was gay. And and if there is any mental illness, it seems to be her denial of um, facing up to to Sebastian's orientation mm-hmm. and his sexuality and that sort of irrational um, denial that sh- that she carries with her. Mm-hmm. Now, Tom, you are the editor of a new collection of Williams' early short stories. It was released uh, just this past spring in April under the title Caterpillar Dogs and Other Early Stories. How is it that you uncovered these works? Well, I've been interested in, in Williams' early career for quite a few years, and um, I'm a theater director primarily. I am retired from teaching theater at the University of Illinois. Um, and I had the good fortune of being able to direct uh, the five or six of Williams' early plays that have not really been done much until we we uncovered them again. But it, it led me also to, to looking into the collections of Williams' material that um, is at different libraries around the country. And I was very surprised to see so many short stories that he wrote that have not been published when he was a young man in St. Louis, in particular in the 30s, he wrote quite a lot of stories and would submit them to literary magazines and, and popular magazines, hoping to get them published and to make some money um, and to make a name for himself. Uh, but eventually, when, he, when his career uh, turned to playwriting and he started to have success as a playwright, many of those short stories were just sort of tucked away, and um, he he parked them in these collections in different university libraries and so forth, but uh, for the most part didn't come back to trying to publish the early things he'd written. Mm-hmm. So um, I find that there's a great deal to be enjoyed and discovered in looking at the early stories. They tell us a lot about Williams. They tell a lot about what St. Louis was like in the years uh, in which he lived, mm-hmm. in the, especially in the late, um, mid to late 1930s. And it get... makes you think differently about, uh, about things. Yeah. You know, we love to get a sense of the way Tennessee Williams saw St. Louis. 
Could you share an excerpt from one of the short stories you discovered, perhaps um, sure, Stare sure. to the Roof? Yes, yeah. This is a story about a, a young clerk who's working in the International Shoe Company, which folks might recognize as the now the City Museum downtown and the last hotel. Ah. So it was in that building downtown uh, where Williams actually did work. And he would take his, Williams himself would take breaks up to the roof of that building. And in this story, he describes the young man looking out. And this is, this is how he describes it. He loved to look out over the eastern horizon with its hazy intimation of lands stretching beyond the river and the city and perhaps continuing in beautiful, clean undulations until it reached the ocean. In the summer, you could see upon the opposite bluffs of the river a sort of golden smoke and greenish flame, which reason rather than vision told you were fields of various grains and corn. There was also a white thread winding among the glittering undulations, which could be rationally explained as a highway that carried adventurous spirits into the north and the south. Then there was the river itself, which seemed to laugh at the static city and the static humanity which it fostered. I love that description. Uh, I've gone up to the, the roof of that building, and, and you really do see that sort of a vista even today. Mm-hmm. Thank you for reading that, Tom. You know, <laughs> static city and static humanity compared to phrases like hazy intimation and adventurous spirits. I mean, it, there's not much affection there. And you talked earlier about how Tennessee Williams felt about St. Louis and and some of the reasons why. Did he ever change the way that he, you know, talked about St. Louis and what his relationship to it was? Well, um, he was a writer, and so he wrote about um, the city uh, colorfully. I think it was the conflict that he had with the city that that, uh, sort of led him to the, the best of his writing. Of course, Glass Menagerie is the, is that memorable story that, uh, is set here. Um, but he never he never had a sentimental feeling, uh, a sentimentally warm feeling about St. Louis, but he certainly took a great deal of his experience from the city um, along with him throughout his career. Mm-hmm. Now, Tom, you've directed some of Tennessee Williams' better-known plays and adapted his short stories for the stage. And that means you're very much more than a casual fan. Now, mm-hmm. what do you see in... William's early short stories that also stands out in the plays that, you know, years later made him famous and beloved. Mm-hmm. I think in particular, I think uh, in his stories, you get the, the inner life of characters uh, in the same way that you do in plays. Plays, of course, embody those lives uh, and a story you read and imagine it in your own mind. But uh, he's he does a wonderful job of sort of getting you in the minds of characters, and then in the short stories, really isolating singular events that are um, dramatic uh, in the lives of these different characters. And um, in, in this collection of caterpillar dogs, there are um, uh, seven different stories that each capture different little 
um, vignettes in the lives of, of a, a wide range of different characters. Tom, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us uh, about William's work and his life. Thanks, it's been good to be with you. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.